my name is Janice B. Gordon, and this is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 43 best podcasts for every sales professional. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn Sales as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow. In this episode of Scale Your Sales Podcast, my guest talks about their approach to campaigns being both scientific and experimental. They really focus on the top of the funnel and how you can reduce the time to find your ideal prospect down to 10 or 20 percent of normal time. It's crucial, he says, uh, to perfect the customer experience. Now, you know, this is music to my ears, and this is particularly before launching a product. He said the user needs to view a highly relevant demo and rapidly discover the product value. Now, this experience needs to be seamlessly embedded in every customer interaction. Once this foundation is established, it serves as a strong lever to positively drive sales. And that's what we're all about. My next guest has over 20 years of experience as an entrepreneur. He's founded four startups, including Truebase. Throughout his career, he has helped start new companies and led them to success. He has been part of two startup exits besides being the CEO of Truebase. He is an advisor and mentor to several other startups. Please welcome to Scale Yourselves podcast, Wissam Tabara. Hi, Janice. How are you? Uh, it's, it's great to, to have you on. I really want to kind of delve into your background and all of your great successes. And I know that you've got great insight to share with this audience so first of all let me kind of delve into you know post-pandemic um you talked about moving towards a product-led growth uh model uh and you know abolishing annual contracts and that has really made made a difference and it very much talks to aligning yourself with your customer customer success and optimizing efficiency my question to you Post-pandemic, in order to survive and help our customers, many companies have switched their go-to-market strategy. But it's been the pandemic that has initiated that. I wonder, had this been part of the go-to-market strategy way before the pandemic, would that have made a difference to where you are now as an organisation? Great question, Janice. Yeah, happy to uh, share my insights here. Well, you know, like, um, I always think like the pandemic uh, was more like an accelerant agent than um, than really anything else. So, um, and I, I, I see that actually, like, not just like, obviously, in sales and B2B and all of that kind of thing, but also on how it impact our lives, right? Mm. Uh, what where we were heading ten years ago, we were we we got there in two years, right? So um, to specifically answer your question about the product led growth, well, I actually come from an engineering background, so I was sitting on the other part of the house, right, not the front part of the house, 
And um, it kind of happened there. You see like where we used to buy software, um, it was more like an enterprise sales where you approach and talk to the CIO and CTO and you go pitch them and you know you do all that kind of stuff where it happened that now you're going to more open source, you find a champion within the organization, they try it, they play with it, they love it. Then they go and they pitch it to their manager and you expand in the organization, right? Um, I read the stats last time that uh, a CTO is managing around 900 software within the organization, right? So imagine how on earth they're going to go and sit on enterprise sales to get all that happening, right? So when I did the switch in my career, you know, like 10 years ago or so, and and now I'm like more sitting on the business side of the house. And I still see like a lot of the enterprise sales in place, which don't get me wrong, it's awesome. And it works in many occasions. And that's where the ultimate goal is. But it's not the the only uh, way to penetrate an organization, right? So that's where I think product-led growth, especially post-COVID, downturn economy, right? Um, where... Um, getting locked and there's everything got shaken in a way and it accelerated this pattern and that's why it's catching up right now on the business side interesting repeat that back to me the um cto the number of um applications they're having to manage uh 900 plus on a fortune uh 100 or 500 i don't remember exact stats happy to look it up but it was something Mind-boggling like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's probably happened in the last, what, 10 years or so. It seems pretty chaotic, crazy that we've allowed this to happen. Is it really necessary? What do you, what do you think is the optimum efficiency? Not so much in number, but where we're moving towards, because that cannot be sustainable. The tech stack is enormous now. Um, So it just seems that we're adding so many layers of unnecessary complication. I don't know what your your view is, uh, Wissam. Yeah, well, it really depends how you look at it. I mean, we are like right now uh, relatively small. And I think we have like around 50 software, right? Uh, and if you look at every team, right, like your engineering team, your success team, your sales team, everyone wants more efficiency and software is eating the world. And, you know, one way to pick up more speed is to sometimes get more software. And I will, I will name like maybe um, 10%, 5% of that software that we acquired was actually uh, bought over time, uh, sorry, bought over uh, an enterprise sales, right? It was all like we, we tried it, we, we um, you know, we loved it. And then we eventually, actually, I've had conversations where we wanted to get the yearly contract, get the discount, get all of that in place. And that's when we had the, the conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So, You're a very successful entrepreneur, uh, founder of uh, businesses. I'd like to go back a little bit. 
Mm. I'd like to go back where this started, how this came about, your engineering mind. Engineers often stay in their safe space, but actually you've really stepped out into growing businesses, managing um, teams across various functions as CEO. What is it in you that wanted to step out of the engineering space? Because that's obviously how your brain works. So what is it and where did that start? Yeah, um, great question. Well, the, the one thing that I'm a little bit unusual that I do come from a business background and I actually entered engineering through my business background. And, okay. um, and uh, but, but, but the majority of engineers that turn out to be in business, they really don't have necessarily that path. But if you kind of like step back for a second, um, Engineering is all about problem solving, right? It's all about efficiency. So, um, and a lot of the software uh, that we build today, the software-based companies, are also having it being like um, an engineer or a technical background gives you a really good advantage because as a CEO, you're always responsible to managing different function within the company. So that's in a way is an advantage. In fact, um, I don't usually rely a lot on VCs data, but VCs or venture capitalists are usually more leaning toward technical founders, right? Because especially at an early stage of the company, there's a lot of emphasis in understanding the technology and building some of the advantage of the moat of the company as a technical uh, founder. Now, it's not the only way to do it, but it's a, it's a, it's a, if you want to count the odds, right? It's a little bit uh, a better way to do it, or at least it gave me an advantage in a in a in a world where uh, we're running we're building software. Um, did that answer your question? <laughs> it did, but then it, I thought of another question, uh, and it was around: uh, you've got to be able to communicate clearly mm-hmm. in you know simple language uh, what the product does for the customer. And often when you have more of an engineering brain, then you go into the kind of like all the lovely shiny object features and and benefits. So you're able to visualize this. You're able to communicate it very well. So is that was that bit coming from your your previous business backgrounds, understanding how important it is to communication, to communicate the journey and where you're going. It's not just about, you know, a great shiny object. It's actually about the wrapper around that that gets the object into the hands of the people that are going to use it. Janice, I cannot agree with you more. It's it's really, and, and by the way, and it's not just my uh, experience in this. I happen to be advising uh, and uh, some accelerators and some other startups, and I've seen this transition. Uh, and I will say it in a, in a little bit different way. Engineers can write hundreds and thousands of lines of code. The hardest line that they can write is to pitch the company and to explain what the company is in one sentence. And the, often the struggle of storytelling, um, and and not to confuse of giving more context is bugging everybody the details, right? Because that's usually where, you know, they think that the more is better, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's engineering. But if I'm talking about engineering, like they want to give you all the aspect of the problem. <laughs> uh, 
and they want to really make sure they inform you, but that's exactly when they're losing you. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes just having somebody tell the story and make it more conversational, have somebody double down on the on the comment and take you one way or the other, uh, or the other rather than presenting all the details up front, that could be extremely helpful. And um, if you're able to, like really startup comes down to, can you build or can you sell, right? <laughs> and if you're able to build and sell, you're, you're kind of indispensable. Uh, and, um, you know, and if you want to do that transition from building to selling, uh, there's a lot to learn in selling, even though you have the advantage, you really got to learn how to tell your story. And that's the hardest part of the job. You make me think I, I um, work on an accelerator uh, program. I've got, gone through four mm -hmm. cohorts. It's based in Israel, Palestine, funded by the World Bank. And, and it's uh, I love it because it keeps me relevant as to the new uh, applications and what people. But the thing is, that's that's. Uh, I'm going to borrow from you. I hope you don't mind. You know, Please. are you are you building it or are you selling it? You know, and they're the two things. And so I can imagine myself using your words over and over again to many of these founders um, that are scaling their their organization to really understand what their role is and what they they're good at and what they're not good at. Get someone else in that 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 is. So I love that phrase, and it's really simple, but it's very clear. That's what it is, and that's what's important to to the business. So tell me more about TrueBase. What's unique and different about what it does for its customers? Yeah, well, to to really the best explain TrueBase is to uh, just first describe the problem, and that's kind of really related to what you asked me originally. You'd be like coming from engineering, and what bugged you to really go take that one on. And um, just coming, sitting in a revenue team and uh, over the many startups I built over the past, um, it was always the same thing. I'm trying to like hire, I'm trying to find customers or investors and I find myself sitting in LinkedIn, right? And uh, running all these Boolean searches and, and clicking next, next, next for hour, hours um, and then opening each profile and able to just kind of, read the profile and research and I'm like this does not scale even when even when I was part of very well-funded startups where we had you know a large teams of SDRs and BDRs still like we will sit and do financial modeling we'll say well each BDR and we'll do three deals a, a month I'm like why three deals right and so it's like it was all the number it was all manual and it has not changed as it never evolved mm -hmm. and even today if you spent tens of thousands of dollars on some of the uh, the best prospecting tools or solutions out there, it's still manual. So it takes around at least 10 minutes per lead if you want to go through the whole prospecting journey today. Um, and it's very time consuming. And quite honestly, that's what makes or breaks your business. Like the other thing we learned, we're talking about accelerators and startups is that building the company is 50% of your success. Taking the company to market or the product to market is the other 50. And usually people, especially technical founders, get to ignore that. It's not build it, then they come, right? You have to build it and you have to take it to them. Yeah. So, um, so with TrueBase, we really take that 10 minutes per lead journey and bring it to two minutes per lead. 
without sacrificing any of the quality of the prospecting. Uh, so from basically finding an account to uh, finding the leads you want to contact with the account, qualifying them, finding the contact information, and then writing a hyper-personalized message. All that we leverage heavily AI and workflows and automation to really get you through the journey really fast. So human can focus on what matters the most. It's not the repetitive, tedious work that's being done on a daily basis. It's more when somebody engaged with you. And now this is the art, right? This is where human get involved, but not on the routine or repetitive work that prospecting um, really uh, require from you. So where does it sit? Does it sit on top of LinkedIn or, or it has other kind of databases, sources that it views? Yeah, so uh, it's actually, we have 18 data sources, uh, like kind of public data, and we work with a lot of partners. But it's kind of what you see on LinkedIn and Crunchbase and everywhere of the world, the similar kind of data from demographic, firmographic, and all that kind of stuff. But Janice, that's almost like part of the data, right? Where it gets a lot more interesting is, let me kind of give you a very simple example. How do you know a company is a B2B or B2C? Right. Well, if you you know it's B2B, if they're maybe using a CRM, if they have a sales team and so on, right? Such a filters, right? They're actually not easy to find like on LinkedIn. You cannot go search to give me all the B2B companies. As simple as it sounds, right? Um, you have to do the work. A person needs to do the work and read the website or understand a little bit the company to say this is a fit. AI can do that very easily. Right, can tell you this is a B2B, this is a SaaS, this is a fast-growing company. So you can really have a different level of filters that is basically built on the tier one of the data is what you see on the internet. So just by adding that uh, really fast way of AI filters, you can find data a lot faster. Yeah, interesting, interesting. I am for, um, I know Sales Navigator I just think it's such a, an expensive and linear platform and really is fails miserably. I mean, it sells very well what it does, but it's so limiting what it does. I mean, what, you know, so uh, I, I, um, I absolutely love the fact that what you're doing is the whole journey and everything that's absolutely essential in one platform in order once you've got it you've got enough information to move forward so i abs- absolutely um love that um so true base there uh, is is really good so approaching um you know you approach campaigns in a more scientific and experimental way now explain that to me because I thought they were quite contradictory and interesting words to about your approach to you know the campaigns yeah well you know most um what what I've seen in in business teams or um, especially revenue teams is that they come and they're like it's a gut call right um and they might be and and they give you proof they'd be like hey I scored the six-figure contract with this Right, but uh, it's ups and downs. It's not reliable. It's not sustainable. Why? Because what might work once somewhere might not work somewhere else. Mm. Especially right now, if your total addressable market, as we're talking, like 
10,000 potential buyers, right? What are the odds of you getting lucky again or, or how can you build a predictable business out of this, right? Well, you can, you have to dig deeper. Why, why did this one succeed here? Why did it succeed there? And, and the best way to do it is to turn this to be a scientific problem, right? So what does that mean? Like you can always test things out, right? If, 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 if uh, one thing made it out of engineering is the concept of A-B testing, right? Where you have the base of a campaign and you have always new hypotheses that you're trying to test, right? Variation one, two, three, whatever you're doing. Now, with each campaign you're running, um, you're always experimenting one and only one new thing. It could be, is it a subject line? Is it a segment? Is it whatever that is, right? And you might challenge to for that new experiment or hypothesis that you're running to become the base, right? So if you do that and you're able to really segment uh, appropriately, it becomes a scientific exercise. So you run in a campaign for a specific time and you say, I changed the variation. Did it do better? Did it do worse? And what are my insights learned out of this? So you rinse and repeat. That's the go-to market machine that you want to run. That's how you get to the best odds of signing 10,000 buyers. Now, if you're doing that on a 50, if, you're, if your buyers are 50 Fortune 50 clients, that you don't, might not have enough data to be able to do that. But otherwise, it's like that's how you need to run a sales team. That's interesting. How, how many sales teams have you come across have, have run it that way? Like I have a, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, not too many, not yeah. too many. And I will tell you, it's very challenging, right? It's mm-hmm. not an easy task, but, uh, you know, like the variations are, some of them are in your control. Some of them are not necessarily in your control. I'll give you an example. Like you can run a variation. It could be at the end of the quarter, Right. Um, it could be a holiday in specific uh, area that you're targeting. So sometimes you cannot necessarily understand why one variation did better than the other. But I claim as you can really get on a high level, it's not like, um, it's not a 100% scientific exercise, right? You get on a high level to hone in and what is working and what is not. And that's what matters the most. But I also want to add on a few things here, Janice, that even that concept right now with the fast, the fast pace of generative AI and how it's evolving, there's also a different way to think about this, right? And that's kind of where um, we always used to think of sequences and segments and all of that, right? So it's like more uh, still a one-to-many approach. So you cannot say that all my buyers, I'm able to really segment them into a specific narrow segment, create like everything they need, like what are their pain points, what are uh, their objections, uh, what is the best way to sell to them, uh, which is usually kind of if you want to go through that segmentation exercise and then create a variation and campaigns on all of those, that could be the challenge. It's even more narrow or more granular than that. It's really on one-to-one basis. And if you start going onto the one-to-one basis, it's impossible, impossible for any 
process to scale, right? Unless you're targeting like, you know, a few people a day, right? So um, now with the help of uh, AI, you're really able to almost do a segment of one, right? Uh, each individual, each recipient, each prospect is evaluated separately. And now you're leveraging AI to hyper-personalize, to uniquely qualify, and to customize the service offering to the pain point of that prospect. That's almost like the ultimate way to run a sales team. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really interesting because you you mentioned earlier uh, about the choices people make often are based on the gut. You know, mm-hmm. like I have a gut feeling because they don't have the scientific knowledge. There wasn't the ability. AI hadn't developed enough. And even if we're in this space now, where is the possibility? You've still got to educate and change the mindset uh, about it. So. How do you reconcile or develop people away from, I'm trusting my gut, you know, it's always one through, yeah, I waste a bit of time Two, okay, let's take not a numbers approach to the way that we operate sales, you know, how many did you do this quarter, all of that, which is traditional sales and doesn't really work, um, to more of a scientific and experimental AI approach? How do you graduate people along that line? Um, Yeah, I just want to emphasize on one thing. So we're talking about the prospecting journey, which is, uh, but not the whole sales process. I think the, the guts, the experience, the skills that on closing a deal have a lot of room. In fact, I will not... Uh, outsource that to an AI to do that, right? That's like, that's 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 skills. That's looking somebody in the eye, that's understanding their point point and their voice and their tone to be able to customize or get the, uh, get the most out of the opportunity in hand. But that's post-prospecting. Once you have somebody engaged, human fully take it on and get your skills, get your experience in place. What I'm talking about specifically, it's the top of the funnel. It's a manual repetitive work that you're doing. That cannot be gut-based. It cannot scale, uh, or it might work sometimes, it might not work another time. That is actually a very good candidate to, uh, to basically automate and to have it all like scientific approach and to lean heavily on AI uh, because it might not do... Awesome on case-to-case basis, but if you take the numbers, the thousands of emails you send, it will most probably do a lot better than you can. And only engage when it's the right time for you to engage. And it's also problematic, Janice, especially in downturn economy. Today, to hire an SDR or BDR, it takes four months to hire uh, to hire and wrap up, Right to teach them what's the ICP, how to really qualify well, how to do all of that. Well, they last a little bit more than a year on the job, right? And that's before the downturn economy, right? So uh, so it's like you're spending four months <laughs> to hire the SDR and train them. And it's an entry-level position. Everybody wants to move up in the organization, make more on their commission and all that kind of stuff. It's really hard, right? It's really hard to have a consistent uh, top-of-the-funnel uh, machine in place. I'm not talking about the inbound, I'm talking more about the outbound. So that's kind of the challenge. And that's why actually it's really poised for AI to take over that piece of the job, not to take over the position, 
Now, when they engage again, that's when they uh, uh, spend more time engaging with the clients. And that's how you can have a more consistent top of the funnel. And more time engaging with the right clients. Exactly. That, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. OK, I want to switch it up a li- little bit in terms of customer experience. I talk a lot about customer experience and how important that is to sales, but actually specifically buyer experience. If you don't get that bit right, that's the testing ground. You don't have the customer. And we often forget about that. So that's kind of core to you know my platform scale yourselves. So you talk about it's really crucial to perfect the customer experience before launching the product to market. Now, tell me more about that. Well, uh, you know, it's like um, it starts before even the first interaction, right? Like it's very common somebody hear about you. What are they doing? Well, maybe they're Googling. Maybe they're looking you up on LinkedIn. Um, maybe they're asking a friend. Um, so even before the first interaction, um, they're kind of building an opinion, right? And everybody have what's important to them. It could be like, um, you know, this is an upcoming startup and I want to work on cutting edge technology, or this is highly secure, like whatever that you're trying to convey of you, the tone and the brand uh, of your company is very important, right? It matters. Um, if you, somebody got a cold email, maybe the first thing they do is Googling you and maybe on that they might answer you or they might, you know, unsubscribe, right? Whatever, whatever the action is there. And now on the first interaction of a say, it's a, as you know, Janice, like the, it's a buyer journey, right? It's a whole, it's, it's, it's a few days. It's complex. It's B2B. Sometimes it involves multiple stakeholder, right? Uh, that have different objection. So, Every part, every interaction matters, right? Even from like, I want a demo. How often, how fast do you reply? How do you reply? How do you qualify? How do you price? How do you do all of that? How do you, how are you answering questions over time? All of that matters great uh, in a great way uh, to really ability to close a deal. So that customer, I don't even think customers imply they bought from you. It's a pre-customer experience, right? Or the prospect experience mm-hmm. uh, for them to transition and from like your, your CRM from a suspect to a lead and so on. That actually, there's a lot more artifacts. There's a lot more processes and communication that needs to be in place to really drive them successfully all the way to the far right and have them buy. Excellent, excellent. Now you say that Truebase is a customer-centric Customer centricity permeates through the entire organization. How does that play out? How does that happen? Yeah, so this is kind of like maybe unique at the stage of the company. And I understand this might not scale as much. Um, But I actually think of it as a founder job. So uh, today I am, I do things we do not, uh, that do not scale, right? So I'm sitting on the customer demo. I'm listening to their pain points, Right. And that actually, I turn around, that's what drives all our product roadmap, right? And I'm, uh, we're able to um, not do the hypothetical exercise of building, uh, you know, personas and have them on the board, which is super valuable. I go call people my name. Are we like, well, Alan told me this and uh, uh, Allison told me that, right? So we're able to really kind of um, understand firsthand of the problem. 
Uh, and that's actually very good on the early stage startup. We quickly kind of, and if you're able to build it right, able to react, um, that you can understand that a lot faster. The other thing is actually we, uh, we rely a lot on data and tracking. So any interactions on our, um, you know, websites and, and the app, we track very well. And we try often to establish that relationship. So we're able understanding, are we doing well or not? So having the right metrics in place is very important. So both of those kind of uh, really keep us grounded that we're working on the top of mind for our customers. Excellent, excellent. All right. Uh, In the final uh, question, I'm going to ask you, if you you were on a desert island on your Mm. own, what's the one thing you take with you? As simple as this question seems really hard. <laughs> uh, like, I'm assuming you're talking career-wise because I'll take probably my, my family with me, the first thing I'll well, take. One thing. Uh, you're on your thing. own. You can take one thing with you. You, you got me there, Janice. Uh, I'm, I'm almost. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do the engineer. I, my 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 uh, my answer is gonna be more like the, the one to pretend to be smart. Always like I will take my laptop and an internet connection because I can talk to everybody and I can still do whatever I want to do if I have to. Well, that tells me it's important for you to be connected Mm -hmm. to people, that you probably need that, you know, link to people and you may not survive. Is that true? Um, Well, I think uh, uh, it, it kind of basically tells that my family are important to me, my work is important to me, and that's very true. Mm-hmm. But I also highly appreciate that uh, the going off the grid concept. Uh, like when I go on vacation, I, I, and I, everybody on my team, I say, go disconnect, right? Like really, and that's important to me. And I do have a survival. I would not be in startup without my survival skills. So I'm not fully agreeing with you that it's, it's, that's important to me. I think what's more important to me is staying connected with um, my family and my work, which I love. Yeah, uh, but uh, I also value the disconnect part. So maybe I will take my laptop and I will shut it, and I will not rely on it. Uh, um, well, I, and, and I'll be okay. This. If it's solar powered without any storage batteries, that means you've mm-hmm. got only the daytime to use it, and you have to shut off at night. How's that? Mm-hmm. That sounds great. Okay. That sounds great. All right, that's a deal. It's yours. <laughs> great <laughs> question. You got you, you gave me a lot to think about here. Oh, great. So how can listeners get hold of you? What's the best way? Yeah, I'm active on LinkedIn. So my first name, W-I-S-S-A-M, last name T-A-B-B-A-R-A. That'll be my handle. Um, a really easy way is also to go to truebase.io, which is obviously I'm the founder there. You can go to About Us and there's all the links there. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. It's been really fascinating getting to, to know you and I really appreciate um, you being so so open. So thank you for being a guest on Scale Yourselves podcast with Sam. Of course, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.